Welcome to the Social Flight Live podcast, an audio version of our live show, hosted every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have such a wonderful show for you this evening. Ramona Cox, a.k.a. Sky Chick, the undisputed queen of backcountry adventure flying, is here. Oh, I cannot wait to get started with Ramona. It's going to be a great show. Before we get started, just a few things. First of all, our Fly to Win Challenge is right now ending the last day of a Fly to Win Challenge where we're giving away a Lightspeed Zulu 3 headset. There is still time to get that mobile app for Social Flight check-in, and you could win that Lightspeed Zulu 3 headset. In addition to that, of course, we will be continuing because we are always giving something away here. So a new period begins tomorrow of the Fly to Win Challenge. In addition to that, uh, Social Place FAA Learning System, we are here in the last month of FAA renewals for uh, IAs, and that is uh, for uh, any AMPs and IAs that are out there looking to do a renewal uh, that is based on education. You can just go to socialflight.com. It is completely free, and uh, there is an FAA credits section in the menu. Go and click on that. You have all these different videos that you can go and see, take, get courses. We issue certificates that are FAA approved for that. And in addition to that, for all regular pilots, for regular AMPs without their IAs, it is, we have wings credit. We have aviation maintenance technician program, awards program credits. All of that is in social flight. Just get out there and fly. That is our mission. That's why we created it, and it is all available to you right there. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Whipair, and uh, I just want to thank them so much. I'll tell you, I have visited their facility out in South St. Paul, and it is amazing. In addition to getting to see how floats are made and this, this incredible factory, uh, it's, I found it uh, really striking how much other work that they do. They have a full paint facility there. They paint aircraft. They do incredible interior work. Um, they do avionics. There's like a million things that they do and regular maintenance as well. So if you have any interest in, in uh, checking that out, be sure to stop by, contact Whipair, and also tell them thank you, of course, for supporting Social Flight, making all of this possible. Now, to tonight's broadcast, Ramona Cox does not do anything halfway. Uh, whether it's skiing, fishing, scuba diving, or flying, Ramona takes life by the reins and explores literally everything that the planet has to offer. In aviation, her sky chick persona embodies adventure flying as she explores the backcountry far off the grid. She and her trusty TU-206 turbo stationaire can be found camped out in some of the most remote locations in the country, just living off the land and sharing her adventures with pilots from around the world. 
Ramona also represents several companies, including Honda Generators, Moto Art, and Plane Tags. And we have a special surprise for you this evening because there are going to be some giveaways as well. Uh, she has uh, brought some little prizes, and uh, people will be hearing after that. So we'll talk about that now. I'm going to bring Ramona on the line now. And please help me welcome to Social Flight Live, Sky Chick Ramona Cox. How are you, Ramona? Hello, how are you? I am so excited to be here, and I'm so Good. excited you are. So, uh, you know, it, it, the, the biggest question, of course, is with your adventures is where to start, and I always want to hear your story a little bit from the beginning. How does someone, you, you're this petite little fireball that has to sit on like three cushions. How did you get to the point that you were this backcountry, aka sky chick? Well, you have to think about it. I'm five feet, 97 pounds. So my entire life was dealing with obstacles. I was too small or I was this or that. And Sky Chick, I guess, you know, it kind of started with, I come from an aviation family and my father was a pilot. My half brother was a pilot. Uh, he flew, my half brother was in the Air Force. K up to, he flew up to KC-135 air tankers. My dad actually gave primary training to some of the WASPs during World War II. So when I was a child, my bedtime stories were, there I was. So for me, aviation was in my veins. And so one thing, you know, kind of led to another. And, and also I had another influence that created Sky Chick. Right. Um, my mom, I lost her when I was 10 years old from cancer. And so I recognized under like unlike most kids at that age, I recognized that there's a termination date. There's no guarantees. So I decided I was going to go 100 percent for it and explore land, sea and air. And so that's what I've done. Started with scuba diving, filming underwater all over the world and then uh, shifted into flying. So that's kind of how the infancy of Sky Chick got started. Wow, that you know, it's interesting that that coming from from such a challenging situation with your mother, and to take that and turn it into something so positive as kind of seizing the day, and knowing that we have such limited time. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit about that because it it seems like a lot of the work you do is focused on making the most of of really limited time on the planet. Right. Well, I, I think that when, once you understand that there's, I mean, I knew I may not, I may live till I'm 90 or I may, you know, something could happen the following week. And so based on that, then what it does is that it opens up your horizons to be able to do and try anything that you want to do and try. And that influence combined with my father, who was a super hardcore adventurer, he was a, on the leading edge of most everything, competed in all types of sports. And, and he said, if you're going to do something, do something you love. And if you're going to do something you love, do it well. So whether it was ski racing, I raced for 12 years, whether it was flying or diving, it really didn't matter. If I took up a sport, I would take it to the max. So that's, you know, that's sort of what sculpted what I do. And I became fearless because knowing that at some point you're going to be going anyway, you might as well just go for it right up until then. And that's what I do. And so, I mean, even when you talk about things like the scuba diving, you don't just scuba dive, you actually took it to the level of the, you know, nitrous and, and going more extreme, I think, than the average recreational on vacation scuba diver. Um, right. So always feeling like when you're doing something, you want to see what's a little further. What is that part mm -hmm. of the kind of the persona that drove you? 
Sure. I mean, I think anytime you take up any sport in order to get good at it, uh, like to compete, I competed in a lot of sports, you have to take it to the next level. So with diving, I've filmed underwater advanced nitrox all over the world, sharks, you name it. And I do what I love. And I, I just, that's kind of part of my message is to do what you love. And as long as you're doing what you love, then you're enjoying every day as much as you can. I mean, whether it's your work or whether it's your play, if you're doing things that you love, there's uh you never ever bored yeah that is that's wonderful i'm so did your your kind of backcountry experience before it even involved flying is it you're obviously extraordinarily comfortable just out in the wilderness did mm-hmm. that start before the flying introduction or did, did were they hand in hand oh absolutely i was a backpacker And so I started going solo backpacking into the high Sierras uh, for 10 days at a time. And so once I started flying and I discovered backcountry flying, I realized that I could get farther, faster, deeper into nature. And upon my first landing backcountry, I knew this is what I want. This is, this is what I love. I mean, I, I also, I flew T-34s for eight years when I did formation stuff. I was in the Oshkosh uh, Woodward demonstrations doing formation. And, and I love that. That's really fun. That's precision flying, right? But my heart and soul is with nature. And so uh, when I'm out backcountry flying, there's, there's just, nothing, nothing better to me. And, but when I started flying, my very first, actually, I was introduced to flying through another fellow aviator that was a ski racer. He had a very easy and he took me flying and we did loops and rolls and and just had a blast. And the next weekend I was at UCLA going through ground school, learning how to fly. And you know, with obstacles and, and flying is still to this day. I mean, it's male dominated because there's just a lot more men doing it. But I was, I got into the 152 and sat there and I was so excited looking at the instrument panel, like, Ooh, and the instructor kind of looked at me and he said, so what do you see? And I said, well, I look at all these instruments I get to learn. And, and, and he said, what else do you see? And I, and I just looked at him and he said, what do you see in front of you? I couldn't see over the panel. (laughs) Because <laughs> I was too short. So he's, he said, okay, so you, I guess you better go home and uh, we'll do ground school today and you get yourself some pillows. So I said, okay. So the next day I come back all excited, two big pillows under my arms and I walk in and there are three fellows sitting on a couch and they're watching me as I walk in. And one of them said, so honey, are you going to fly or take a nap? And I thought, oh, and I was just too scared to say anything. So I zoomed in to talk with my instructor. But so that was sort of my introduction. And then I, I sat on pillows. Today, I sit on three pillows in the Turbo 206. And I have rudder pedal extensions with extensions with wooden blocks. I had to get a 337 approval on them. So I just figured out, you know, I climb up, I climb on things. I do whatever it takes to, to accomplish a goal. And with the 206, it's a heavy airplane, a heavy nose, nose heavy airplane. But it's like anything else. You use a trim. You know, you use all the tools that you have in order to fly it. And I, when I leave, I may leave with eight, 900 pounds of gear. I can carry a thousand pounds of gear and 80 gallons of fuel. So I have a really big advantage and I load it up because I leave 
for whole summers. It's one thing if you go for a week or a weekend, but I would leave and June 1st and I wouldn't be planning on coming back till the end of September. And I flew all over the backcountry strips. I'd fly in one, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana. I was all over the place. And so in order to do that, I had to be equipped. I have a boat with sometimes I'd always bring some kind of a boat. And, and if I can, I bring a boat and a Honda motor with me because if I'm going to fish a big lake, I want to be able to get all around the lake. Um, but I also so, would have like tell me a, bit about a boat. I want to I want to show a couple of pictures here because some of this is it has to be seen to be believed. OK, so that that oh. first of all, <laughs> this is your seat. Right. Right. Three of them. I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> and and when you're talking about a, a a boat, then you're you're talking about a real like in, inflatable full scale boat. There's one here that we've got a view fishing there. Right. And that's that's a big boat. That's a sixteen footer and it actually it fits in my airplane and that's a five horse motor. I have I have a few boats. The smaller one takes on to be up two point three, but I I love that's how I survive out there. I fish uh, every day. I specifically I like to land where there's a lake. In fact, Ooh. I usually won't land if there's not a lake because I fish and then I also hunt with a traditional recurve bow. Only small game. I can't hang and you know, get a whole deer and I can't eat it. So I catch, you know, or I, I, I'll use my bow on whatever I can. Grouse, grouse are pretty kind of stupid. They're pretty easy <laughs> to get. But, but if I get tired of fish, then I'll go to birds. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I just, I'm, I learned to be very self-sufficient out there. And it starts with baby steps. I mean, you're out there quite often. Now it might be busier, but when I started going out there, gosh, like 2004 or something, there weren't hardly any people. I wouldn't see anybody flying for a week. You know, I mean, there, there would literally be me. And so I had to get used to being in the wilderness, being outside where there are grizzly bear and mountain lions, Schaefer Meadows, biggest population of grizzlies this side of Alaska. And so I needed to get comfortable with that. And I simply learned to blow right through fear because fear makes adrenaline and nothing good happens when you're all adrenaline out right but so i would be sitting in my tent i would have uh i'd be listening i would have hung my food and i'd listen to the bears climb scratch up a tree where my food is i'd hear the branch break uh, that's my uh, six-man tent. It's, it's a sweet tent. I mean, I had a nice thing going on. If, if if you're out for months, you want to be very comfortable, right? But so I'd hear the bears climbing up, and then I'd hear the, the branches break, and that's my mobile technology, right? That's my mobile technology seat that you should. But I'd hear the branch break, and then I'd hear them snorting and just tearing everything up. And there is nothing on the planet worse than bear slobber. The smell, oh, even if they don't get through the can, you don't want to touch anything that the bear slobber's gotten all over. But so I had to get accustomed to that. And my goal when I'm in nature is never to hurt anything. When I land, I do my little you know, native prayer and just make it clear that I am the guest. I'm, I'm not the ruler here. I'm the guest. And so I'm very respected uh, of all animals. And uh, unless something is actually aggressively trying to harm me or harm my airplane, uh, and that would be a different scenario because I'd you know, be hitting pots and pans and stuff. I'd do anything to stop 
an animal before I would harm it. And so far, I've never had to harm an animal. And one night I was sleeping in the airplane and it started moving back and forth. And I thought, oh no, there's a bear out there. And as it turned out, it was a deer that was just scratching its back on my rudder because <laughs> it felt good. So I was, I was happy about that because, again, you know, I'd rather not have to harm anything. But, yeah, you know, it'd take a while for them to claw through my, my airplane, but I'm usually prepared if that did happen. So, yeah, you just wow. get used to blasting through fear. You know, things will happen and you, you handle it. You learn buck stops here. You have to handle it. So, so let's start with some basics. If someone, I mean, because you, how did you learn this self-sufficiency? Even if it's not the eight, first there's the, the regular ability of doing that. And then there's the aviation portion of it. And, right. and if, for people that are interested in doing something like this, how does someone even begin to get to the point that they understand how to, how to hunt for their food, how to do certain things, how to be mm-hmm. self-sufficient in the wild for a week at a time or more? Mm-hmm. Well, I personally, I like to have a sap phone. I mean, there are a lot of different products out there that you can use. It's very important to have something to be able to alert someone, especially if you're solo. Um, and you can try to call another airplane, but some airstrips actually have cellular service now, but a lot of them didn't and a lot of them don't. So you, it's baby steps. Put up your tent and you see what happens. I mean, there can be one time I was almost... Uh, I was in a position to being stomped by a moose. And so you get, actually, if you're out there long enough, you start getting uh, almost like the, the, the native, uh, the, you know, the natives that you sense, you sense when there's, I, I would feel like as though something was watching me. And so I start repositioning myself and then I'll be on my way back and I'll see mountain lion prints. I mean, so you sense, you sense what's going on, but gosh, I mean, I would, Look at some of the things I have on my website. Go online. Look. You want to be prepared. And I give lectures on gear. I've been lecturing at Oshkosh for you know, 18 years. And I lecture on gear because if you're out there, you're at high altitude, and then all of a sudden a bad storm comes in, you can freeze to death. So you don't want a tent that leaks. Uh, you, you want a sleeping bag that's really warm. You, you, your gear really matters out there. Yeah. You can't always fly out. I've been in, uh, there's microburst. I mean, I've been in situations you flat out, you're not going to get out of there no matter what you, what you can do. So you want to be prepared. Just read it, learn it. I, I learned slowly. <laughs> I mean, just, I learned from experience is, is the bottom line. What do you see is, is how people can start to ease their way uh, into this? So there's, there's going to be a lot of folks that um, maybe at best have, have flown to a grass strip somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. very populated, but who see what you do and look at this and, and say, man, that, that just sounds like that would be an incredible thing. How, how does someone start to ease their way into safely in, into backcountry mm-hmm. flying? Well, I think, first of all, you have to recognize how amazing it is. I mean, if you like fishing, if you like hunting, if you like camping, if you like hiking, all of those things you can do out there. And one of the inhibitors sometimes is that someone has a a partner that doesn't like to camp. Some of the backcountry strips have really high-end hotels that cook your food and everything or or cabins. And so if that's the compromise, that would be a good compromise to be able to to go out there and then still have your partner with you. 
hot springs. There are hot springs that are out there. And here's the good news. Unlike normal, normal camping, no reservations required, right? You just go and you do it. So I would start, a lot of airstrips have grass strips as well as pavement. And so I would start experimenting on grass strips. And there are just a number of things that you're going to want to learn. For example, there's there are books, Flying Idaho, Flying Utah, Galen put them out. The important thing to note is that with those books, he may be saying that there's a 30-foot tree, right, at the approach end. That tree could be 50 feet now. So you have to understand that an airstrip, it's not like pavement. It's going to be the same the next as the next time that you came, right? And when you are... There, the other thing that's important is that a lot of these are no go around airstrips. So you're, you're taught to go around uh, if there's a situation that you messed up landing, but you really kind of have to try to get it right the first time because these strips have a mountain at the end. And so mm -hmm. you have to learn how to do that. A technique that has I've never seen anybody uh, trained for is that as opposed to put in the power and go around, right? There's got to, somebody has to start training people to not go around. I mean, when sometimes you'll bounce, you hit an elk wallow, who knows? There's a lot of stuff under that grass, so you might bounce, but you, you, you can't put in the power, right? So you need to learn to put in the power enough to restabilize and then start coming down again, right? Uh, the, when you're that, flying overhead, oh, I want to talk about that for a minute because that that's that's really fascinating from a pilotage standpoint, from an understanding mm -hmm. of how you fly your airplane. The idea of, of what you just mentioned of people learning how to commit to, to a landing when you don't have a choice, when there's right. something, you know, coming up at the end of the runway and you can't go around. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned from doing that, how you actually manage some of it and what kind of advice you have for people. What I always land as though I'm coming over a, 30 foot tree. So I always come in even on pavement because as long as I practice all the time when I get to the backcountry, it's second nature, right? So I'm not coming in with a standard approach. So I'm coming in high and I'm dropping in. And then from there, now I'm using my power to understand that you don't know it's under the grass a lot of times. It could be a gopher hole. There, there, there are a lot of those types of considerations. So you want to be able to pinpoint, you want to land as short as you can and pinpoint where that spot is that you want to be, mm -hmm. right? So that, that's really important. Before you go in, there may be deer, elk, herds on the runway. There may be animals on the runway. So you need to learn to fly high enough because if you can't do a low pass, you may be able to do a low pass and go around in a super cub or something. But in a Turbo 206, that doesn't work. So I had to learn from high up to identify what what is there. Now, let's say that you see a herd, but it's way down the runway. You know you're going to stop way before it. Then go ahead and go down. But if it's in the middle of the runway, there's a good chance it could dart across. It's, it's almost like your plane's a magnet for <laughs> some of these things. So so that's, that's a thing to, to take into consideration. When you're landing, learning what the runway looks like if it's wet, for example, in a, in a book, you'll have whatever you're referencing. Let's say it says the runway is 3,000 feet long. You may look down and see the first half of the runway is washed out. Well, it may be okay to land if it's washed out. It just depends. But if it's wet, you, you'll see it'll be dark. 
right? That'll be greener there. You don't want to land in that. So a lot of it, I think it would really help if people just go online and listen to everything everybody has to say that has to do with backcountry flying, because that way, now let's say I, I've done that before where I thought, oh, look, there's a stream. I'm going to fish, right? I didn't even know where the place was. I forgot what it was, Warren or something. And so anyway, so I, but I looked and I could see only half the runway was left, but I calculated I could land in half the runway. So then I came in and I could drag it in, drag it in, which is what I did. There were no trees. And then I just popped down right you know, as short as I could. And that worked out. So that's, you know, that's something that is a consideration for you. Sometimes on airstrips, if cars can get to them, which is why I avoid airstrips when cars can go, but they will have a field day on the runway, right? If it's dirt, if it's dirt, and I landed at a place, a pretty high altitude airport, and apparently it had rained, and then cars had been driving up and down, which makes big deep breaths like that for your nose wheel so that's an issue you uh, there's just you know there's a lot lot to consider yeah Um, but but there's a lot of information out there i mean now with the raf oh my gosh i think um, raf thank you i mean they are just some of the best out there because they are helping keep backcountry airstrips they're making people knowledgeable and if you like for example i was heading to utah for hidden splendor tricky little airport you have to dive in a canyon and fly it Jedi style, right? And then you better be on power and altitude. Otherwise, you have a problem. And so, but I called them. I said, hey, I'm thinking about going to Hin Splendor. Do you have any thoughts? And they may very well on some airstrips say, don't go. It just mm-hmm. rained two weeks ago. It's mudded out. So I try to take advantage of my, you know, my peeps, my, my other pilot friends that they possibly have gone and, uh, so that I'll know if there's something that I'm not going to find a, you know, online or in a book. So that's, you know, those are, those are all considerations and get lessons. I mean, gosh, if you, if you'd like to do it, it certainly is a good idea to get some lessons because there are things that you just won't think about. I mean, there are runways where literally the wind socks at one end is this way and one end is that way. Right. So I'm not saying you would land it. I would land it, but you better be ready right in the center to shift it right at your rudder pedals so that so that you can handle what yeah. what's going to happen right there. One right? of the things that I also like is is you. I mean, certainly you're flying a utility aircraft in the 206, but you're not flying something with bush tires. You you fly no. a pretty regular airplane to to do right. all of this. Tell us a little bit about your plane. Uh, well, it's a Turbo 6, a tu- Turbo 206. I have a nice panel, um, Garmin 750, GDL 88. I don't have uh, uh, anything special really on it. Uh, I, I, I don't have big tires. So if somebody's considering doing it uh, and you don't have big tires, I'll give you a suggestion that what I will do is land and then as soon as I get landed, I'll pull off far enough so that I'm not in someone else's way on the airstrip. Then I will look all along and I'll pick a tree. I'll say, I think that's where I would like to park. And I will walk it because mm-hmm. you can be walking it and it looks, when you're taxiing, it looks great. But then when you're walking it, you can see there's a big bush. Oh, no problem. But then right behind that big bush, there's a giant hole that will swallow your nose wheel. So, or maybe there's a big log that seem not big, but I mean, it's like this big. And so then now you're going to have to stop anyway. So I walk it. 
And then as long as I can keep going in a straight line to where I have predetermined as far out as I need for, for my tires, then I'll go ahead and do that. But sometimes you'll get halfway and like, uh-oh, that's not going to work. So then you pick another direction. But it's really important to be cognizant of small tires because the big guys, I mean, they have such an advantage. There's like, boom, 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 you know, they all, the tires are as tall as I am, right? So they can roll over everything. I can't. And I'm, it'd be great to have big tires. Uh, the reason I didn't put them on was because I had built lofts in my hangar. And honestly, I, I didn't, I couldn't put big tires because the wings are too close to the top of the loft. So, but, but good tire, big tires are a good idea. And it really depends on how committed you are to backcountry flying. If you're just going to try it out, then I don't think I'd switch to big tires. But, but if you're taking it seriously, you do it, you love it. Big tires aren't a bad idea. Are there things, do you, do you worry about getting stranded with an aircraft issue or anything like that? I know you have your sat phone for rescue if you need to, but where does mm-hmm. kind of maintaining your plane fit in to, to your adventures? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, simple things like one time I had to mouse milk the turbocharger. I mean, I'm not a mechanic and I'm really, really aware of, I'm not going to do anything that's going to make the engine go quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very cautious about that. And if I had an issue, I would make a call um, or yep. maybe, you know, if another, if a mechanic flew in, they happened to be there, then, then I would address it. But I mean, I, with a Honda generator, I can pump up a tire. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are things in that, that you can do. Uh, I can charge a battery and I've had mm-hmm. that happen where somebody landed and their battery went dead. And so I was able to help them charge their battery. So, uh, um, I, you know, so far, so good. Um, Yes, I haven't had, I haven't had had any big problems, but I would just call in. That's all you can do is call in unless you're a mechanic. A lot of you, a lot of the guys are, so good for you. Uh, Then you can work on it. But I also bring tools. I bring the tools that would be necessary, as many as I can, without getting too heavy to Mm -hmm. be able to repair the aircraft. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about some of your more kind of either your crazier ad- adventures or some other things that might have, might have happened along the way for good stories? Oh, my goodness. Um, well. Let me ask well, you this. See. What's the most challenging yeah. airstrip that you can think of that you've been in? Oh, I think Atlanta for me. I mean, there, there are some that are pretty, Thomas Creek can be challenging depending again on what you're flying because there's a mountain right in your face. And one of the important things to, to consider is that using Thomas Creek, you're coming in, there's a stream, right? That goes right across the approach end. There's going to be a sinker there. And I actually, I talk about that in my lectures and I, what I tell people is that you're, you're going to have a tendency to want to pull the power because you've got that, that mountain right in your face. And it's also comes in at an angle. It's sort of a bizarre strip to land. But the, the key is, I said, just give it count 1,001, 1,002 before you pull that power, as long as you're on speed and you're not zooming in. And a fellow told me, he came up after a lecture, and he said, you saved my life. I said, how? He said, I was going into Thomas Creek, and I so wanted to pull the power because the, that mountain's right in your face. He said, but I heard your words, 1,001, 1,002. And he said, I forced myself to do it. But then I put in the power, and he said, had I not done that, I probably would have taken my wheels off. So things like that, that little anomalies that you may not be aware of, 
Uh, that's yes. Yeah, so Thomas Thomas Creek can be tricky. Atlanta. Atlanta is the most bizarre airstrip, and it, the windsock was going like this. Atlanta is the ultimate case of a, a mountain in your face, right? And, and, and where is that? Because when you say Atlanta, we're all thinking Hartsfield. So no, no, at, Atlanta, Idaho. It's near Warm Springs, which if you like hot springs, you want to go to Warm Springs. That's an amazing place. Uh, best hot springs, I think, around. But so, so anyway, the windsock was going like this. So I kept circling, hoping that the wind would die down. And it finally did die down enough. But that's a good example. You had two choices. You can either come in real high over the trees and then sink her down and then go in, which is what I did or you can come in around the canyon. I was just concerned based on the wind that it coming in around the canyon, when I made that turn, I might pick up too much speed. So everybody has to make their own decision as to how, based on your comfort level, based on your experience level, how, how you are going to handle an airstrip. And I mean, Galen, he, he makes recommendations and I pretty much, I usually take them, but there have been circumstances where I thought, I know my abilities and I will do a better job doing it a different way. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah, why. I mean, is there, do you have a favorite strip or somewhere that you like to, that, that mm-hmm. is your, your best place that you can imagine spending a couple weeks? Oh, there are so many. Chamberlain's gorgeous. Chamberlain, uh, there's a, a woman, there was a woman there at the time and she said, let's go on a little hike. I said, sure. We ended up leaving it seven in the morning and not getting back till seven at night and you can go hike all the way up to sheep eaters it's a a lookout a fire lookout but it's gorgeous there i mean everything about chamberlain is really really beautiful fish lake is chamberlain idaho these are all idaho yeah schaefer meadows is my favorite for montana and that's beautiful right next to it there's a, a stream where you can fish that has a lot of bears and it's actually a bear research area. So if you are walking around Chamberlain and you see barbed wire tacked to the tree, what that is, it's to collect the DNA of the bears like it. And so they'll scratch their back on it. And then when they do that, they take the little hairs and get the DNA so they can figure out exactly what what type of bears and all that are there. Um, so Schaefer, in fact, I ran into a couple fellows and they had recurve bows. These weren't even crossbows, I mean recurves, and they were going bear hunting. Whoa, that's, those are some brave guys. But, uh, and they have the nicest potty in the whole backcountry. I think that <laughs> there were, I mean, some of them are bad. I'm trying to think. There was one, and I literally walked in, and then you kind of lift up the cover, and a whole beehive came out of it. So <laughs> be very, very aware. Be very careful if you're using, if they even have a toilet. But but you have to be aware of that out there. Um, yeah, I mean, only one time came across a bit of a weirdo, but but that was resolved. And, again, it was an airstrip. That there were cars, vehicles could get to it. So. Right. Gosh, sitting out at night and looking at the stars, you can count the, you can watch satellites go by. I mean, you can, you'll learn, and I'll tell you the secret, you look up, it's pitch black, you look up, and you look in one place, you don't look around, and then you wait for something to move in your peripheral, but that's how you do it. You can have contests, actually, but I mean, being out there and smelling a campfire and having fresh cooked fish, I mean... 
if you can get out of the city, I just think it's a great idea. And especially if you could bring your family, uh-huh. that's, that's, you, you will not regret it. Back, back country flying is once, once you get the bug, you're going to want to keep doing it. And all the states have some interesting strips. I mean, mm-hmm. there's Titan in Washington and Stahican there. So I think it's good to explore a lot of different places and pick what you like, what you like. Do you want a lake? I love Fish Lake personally. It's a rough strip and uh, it's marked hazardous on the chart, and I actually helped resolve that problem, I believe, because speaking of stories, uh, there are a number of planes in that lake, and I knew it wasn't crazy, you know, foolish pilots, and so it had to do with the windsock. And so be particularly aware of uh, when you're landing at, at one of these strips. You don't want to land with a tailwind, and you don't want to take off with a tailwind. Uh, especially density altitude and all of that. So anyway, I talked with the forestry service and they put in a second windsock so that people could actually see what was going on. And I think, I don't think there's been any incident since. It actually, I don't think that considering what it is that you're doing, boy, that country is, just do it. Don't even think about it. it it's, <laughs> I mean, you you can have a hundred dollar hamburger and all that day after day after day, but but uh, I think that if you don't expand the horizons, then maybe your flying uh, will be shortened. And you had talked about that. And I know that a lot of people that have learned backcountry flying from going to my seminars are completely hooked. They That's so they. Wild. Yeah, they just love and, it. And, and it is, of course, now you you pretty casually mentioned, of course, that there's some, you know, planes at the bottom of that lake. But, uh, right. uh, you know, if you can make it to the, uh, in, in, you know, gently and carefully into uh, uh, areas that you that are within your abilities, it sounds like it's just a, a wonderful adventure. How do people learn some of the other things? Like you, you uh, mentioned, of course, a few incidents with wildlife. I would imagine right. that people would want to know enough it's not campground camping so they'd want to know enough about you know things that they have to be careful of whether it be you know i don't know snakes venomous things uh, wildlife things like that how how does someone come up to speed on that Mm -hmm. every airstrip i go to in each state i will try to look at what is the wildlife in that area Mm -hmm. what do the venomous snakes look like so mm-hmm. that I know if I were to get bit, should I worry about it or not? And uh, rattlesnakes, it, all of those things. I try to learn what is in that environment that, that can harm me. And you know, in, in general, I mean, you have rattlers and, and some water, water type snakes that, that could be a problem, but look it up, look up. Idaho, look up Idaho, the panhandle, look up, look up the area where you're going and then look at those snakes and be familiar. Prints, there's a lot of great stuff online so that you can identify prints because there, it could be a wolf print, a mountain lion print, or a dog print. And they have distinct, they look distinctly different based on the pads, based on the, the claws. And so that's a good thing too, because if you're walking along, you don't want to be afraid if you can tell it's a, a German shepherd 
as compared to a mountain lion. Mm -hmm. um, scat, right? Scat. You look for, you look at this, you know, you look at scat, try to figure out what, what that's coming from. Just be, it's like any time, whether you're, any kind of camping that you're doing, whether it's air camping or not, you want to be familiar with the animals in the environment. Have you had anything that you was even remotely a, a you know close call or concern? Oh, the moose. Well, moose, bear, but I've been able to get away from them. Wolves. Uh, wolves will try to circle you. So I've, I've had a little bit of issue with wolves, but nothing really big. But the moose. I was I was filming. And I saw this beautiful scene, and so I put my backpack down, which I'm usually armed out there. And so I, I put my backpack down, and then I, I kind of scooted over to be filming. And as I turned around, there was a moose, gosh, maybe 25 feet away that was munching on the grass. And I started to come up with my camera, and I saw it, and its head went up, and its little ears went back. I thought. This is so bad. And so I looked in both directions, like trying to figure out where can I get away? And there really was no escape. I mean, I had to just try to go backwards through the little stream. So I did this Michael Jackson walk and I just did this moonwalk back. I swear, they're just doing this moonwalk back. And the moose, interestingly, I, I don't know why it, it did this, but as each step I took back, the moose took a step forward. The exact same pace. It was bizarre. But I finally was able to get back enough to get behind a tree. And then the moose literally just looked at me like, and then walked away. But um, my backpack was right next to the foot of the moose. So it that's why I, I mean there was nothing I could do but but try to run and hide. And and moose, people don't know this. Moose, they're uh unlike you know, a, a horse, right, that, that you know, horses kind of like this. A moose can sucker punch, boom, straight out with his little bow. Yes, they can sucker punch. Yeah, yeah, they can do that. It's like a little boxer. So <laughs> something to be aware of. <laughs> I never even thought of it. Wow. I've never been that close, but I didn't uh, necessarily even think of them as being that close, that uh, dangerous, let alone uh, that they'd punch. Oh, they are. They're dangerous and they can be really honoring. And honestly, I'm, I'm lucky I'm alive because if that moose had chosen to charge, I, I could very well be gone. So you simply want to have all the respect for the animals, be keenly aware of what's going on around you. And again, this could be, I mean, a lot of people live in places that this is daily. They have bears, they have moose all over the place. So it's just not like this super scary. It's just, you want to, be aware and uh, you know get comfortable with it. But back backcountry airstrips, I love Fish Lake. Has big black biting flies. They're the size of pterodactyls. But I love everything about it. And for your food, okay. When I go out, I don't take an ice chest. So what I do is I put my anything that I'm trying to keep cool in a Ziploc baggie, and then um, put it in the river, like with a rock on top of the rock and a rope and then that will keep your it'll keep your food cold so. that's a great idea what about so i know obviously you give a, a complete hour-long presentations all on gear but if you were to rapid fire some stuff for people to know uh mm -hmm. since you are literally the gear woman what what are some things people should be thinking about i know it starts with your honda generator 
Right, right. And and not every place allows kind of generators. So because in some wilderness areas, they do not allow anything that is motorized whatsoever. They won't let you have your bike. They won't let you have the generator. Uh, and in those cases, interestingly enough, the way that they mow the grass is with a horse pulling some type of a mow device. Well, remember, if the horse hurts its leg, it may not get mowed the summer. So you'll come and there'll be grass this high. And that's another really important thing is that when you are chopping up grass because it's so high, if it's on your propeller, right, and you fly back someplace and uh, a person, an FAA person sees that, they could, if they wanted, consider it a, a prop strike. So you always want to clean off your prop when you land, uh, just you know, because it's not a prop strike, it's a grass strike, but, but you just want to be careful about that. Um, and there are some places where you land that you can't, because you can't see below the grass, like there may be a ditch to the right, mm -hmm. like Reds Wallowa, Oregon, Gorgeous. I love that airstrip. A lot of times it's it's deep grass and there's the ditch to the right. So it's another reason. Don't just bounce off and go to all these airstrips without doing your homework. Mm -hmm. Call the pilot association for that area. Just say, what are the gotchas? Yeah. What are the gotchas here? And then and I promise you, they are more than happy to tell you, don't go to the right at Reds, right? Don't do this. If there's a um They'll they'll give you hints and and there's no, no not a bad thing to ask because it's Absolutely. a lot better to know in advance than to have to deal with it afterwards. So you mentioned, of course, it, obviously a good good tent, good sleeping bag. Is there another yes. other things that are kind of in a list that you'd fire mm -hmm. off for people just to get started, even? Right. I would say when you buy a new tent, and I don't care if it's brand new, seam seal, seam seal the inside of it. Because the worst thing is that if there's standing water and when you park, make sure you're not in a gully of any mm -hmm. kind, right? Your tent or your plane. So it seems still the tent. Uh, obviously, bug spray, if it's, if it's a really buggy place, I actually use a bug head net. Um, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're fishing, you know, you'd want, want to have good gear for that. I mean, there are just so many things. I, I take so many different things. Uh, I use technology, right? So I, I will bring a, I'll, I'll bring a laptop or GoPros. A lot of, a lot of people have GoPros all over the place. So you're going to want to charge them. You can charge them if you can't take in a generator. You can charge them with solar. But here's the deal: is that you can put, you put out your solar panel, you plug in your GoPros, and then you go for a walk. The wind blows it over, right? Or it's cloudy for four days. You, you want some kind of a backup. And there's some little batteries now that will work for that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, just be as prepared as possible. Have dry food. Have have food in a couple of different places so that if it did get discovered in one place, you'd have it in another. All right? Uh, yeah. That makes well, I, have, I, have, I have an air camping checklist. I made the very first ever air camping checklist, and it has everything. So if you have a super cub, you're not going to put everything in. But – uh, if you're flying a, a plane like mine that you can't put a lot of stuff, then it has the whole list. And I'd be, I'd be happy to, you know, send that out to people if they like it. Well, I want to also share with people that you've got your, your book, your DVD, and uh, I'm going to show that right now. Um, this flying off the grid 
tell me a little bit about, about this and, and the rest of the products that you've got. Well, Flying Off the Grid has a lot of different locations, and it also has a lot of tips regarding flying. So if, if you haven't done backcountry, this shows you a lot of examples of what it's like and has gear tips, has all kinds of tips. Bear spray, I forgot bear spray. I highly recommend bear spray. If you, ta- if you buy bear spray, buy the container that is made for airplanes. There's a container, has foam. That way, even if the bear spray somehow triggered, then it wouldn't take you out. So that's an important thing. Oh, I didn't even, that didn't even occur to me, but that's, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And then you've also got your, your whole story right. here as part of that. Right. right. The Flying Off the Grid book has a lot of stories and metaphors, and you'll learn some, you'll learn a lot just going through the stories in that book of things that, that you may not consider. Um, some mistakes I've made, we all make mistakes, and the key is to, uh, just make your mistakes and learn from it and never, ever, ever do the same one again. Right. Is there anything, anything come to mind that you can give us a sneak peek into some of those? Uh, the mistakes? Mm. One time I flew in the middle of two giant cumulonimbus thunderheads and I was going across the Sierras and literally the, it created this layer, you know, a layer that it was impenetrable and I was stuck in the middle of it and so I ended up the layer kind of enveloped me and so I flew out of it and ended up in a cylinder like a gigantic cylinder and had to fly a circle to get up and high enough to be able to get over the top of the cylinder so I I had a, a new yeah just a new respect for thunderstorms, all weather, all weather. I am very, very cautious that people, I don't, you're not going to fly an instrument approach in, in or out of the backcountry, right? And mm-hmm. unless probably some of the, some of the people that do it for a living, they make their own approaches, but in general you don't. And so weather is huge out there. And if you go in there, and, and even if they say there's no weather, weather can come in. So, my father said something to me when I learned to fly. I told him I got soloed, and he had a big smile, and then he looked at me and he said, Ramona, whatever you do, if you ever have a concern about the weather, don't go. He said, I don't care if you're flying to your own wedding. Don't go. Because it's better that you're there the next day to figure it out than have a problem. And we all know that you know, people have had problems flying with weather. So make sure that if you go, that don't ever have anybody or anyone, a guest, try to rush you to get out of a place, a situation that you you're not comfortable with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and mm-hmm. uh, again, you mentioned the RAF. They're they're a huge, yes. wonderful source, recreational aviation foundation, um, foundation, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just a great great source of information. We've had them on the show here um, uh, to talk about all the different places that you can fly there. Right. Um, so it's just just great. So definitely, you've got a couple things. You've got some products out there that people can go to. Where do they go on? What What's your website that, that people go to? Uh, website is skychick.com. So just me, skychick.com. So I have that. Oh, and I also have, I have a book of DVD. And I have, that, this, 
winged women pendant. This, I ran out of them right before COVID, and so I haven't had them for a few years, but I'm having more made. And it's a beautiful pendant, and it has a booklet that comes with it that's extremely inspirational. I mean, it's about uh, having that thrust of desire to do whatever it is that you want to do in life. So mm -hmm. it's, it will be available for Mother's Day, so if you're interested, you won't be able to order it on my site now, but somehow you know, contact me, Ramona, my name, at skychick.com. And uh, yeah, happy to help. And also, I have to put a plug in for the Flying Cowboys. They have done such an amazing job. Trent Palmer, Flying Cowboys, they film. If you want to see what backcountry looks like, they do the most beautiful filming. Corey Robin, uh, Mike Patey, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, and Chandra Patey. She's, I love that girl. I mean, she's amazing. Check them out because you will be able to see the heart and soul of what backcountry flying looks like and what you can do. Now, they have very, very modified aircraft, but that doesn't matter. If you like it enough, you'll modify yours. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's interesting, I've seen even, you mentioned Schaefer Meadows. I've seen Bonanzas go into Schaefer Meadows. You know what? So, I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of, well, Sha okay, Sha yeah, Schaefer Meadows is long enough that a lot of, a lot of places can go in. But Schaefer Meadows is one of those ones that you definitely want the windsock consistent, right? Because it can be going like this. You definitely want, want the windsock consistent. But I have to mention, my goodness, of all, the Johnson Creek. You cut your teeth on Johnson Creek. That, that airstrip is like a golf course. I mean, it is the Ritz-Carlton of that country. Literally, they have showers. They have Wi-Fi. Um, they have a car that you can take and go into town. They have the Harmonica Festival. This, Johnson Creek, I've seen Aero Commanders go into Johnson Creek. If you can't <laughs> land Johnson Creek, stay out of the backcountry because it's really a really good place to, uh, to try. It's long and perfect and they have some really fun fly-ins. I would not recommend taking your first trip during one of the big fly-ins because there's just a lot of airplanes around and it could get a little confusing for you, but, but definitely I, if you're planning on doing it and you want to start where it's the best place is Johnson Creek. And that's, then that's the other one says, yeah, just look at the lengths and go. And is that Idaho lengths. also? Pardon? Is that Idaho also? Idaho. Yeah, sorry. Most of the, I, I think some, the best of the best is in Idaho and Montana. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the other states have strips and they're, and they're, they're fun. Um, but truly, I mean, the, the, you, you will find more strips in a confined area. In Idaho, and if you're going to explore back country, you don't want to have to go 300 miles to get to the next strip. Idaho, there's one, and then you know there there'll be the the place that everybody flies for breakfast, and then the place that you can go for fishing. I mean, all there pick maybe pick two or three or four airstrips, and then make the trip as long as you can make it, and then. Try the different strips. Bring your fishing gear if you like to fish. But, but some places are catch and release. I like catch and eat myself, but <laughs> some places are catch and release. So you have to be really cognizant of that. Uh, there, there's Idaho. I would start in Idaho, and I would start at Johnson Creek. And That's um, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Idaho, Idaho, that's the state. What can I say? That's the state. When you go out for these trips, do you uh, – like plan it all out in advance or do you just say I'm, this is where I'm going to start 
and you go there and spend whatever amount of time you're going to do it and then just see how you feel about where you're going to try to go next. Yes, that's that's what I do. I mean, one time I thought I was tired of the cold, so I, I said, I'm going to head east. And then I saw Thermopolis. It said hot spring. I was looking for hot springs. So I, I thought, oh, there are the hot springs. So then I landed at Thermop uh, Thermopolis. And interestingly enough, I'm sitting on the airstrip at night, and it's beautiful. And then the next day, a fellow came out and he said, yeah, you were sitting right there where a, a mountain lion took down a deer or something. I said, oh, well, that's good to know, right? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, so what I will do, especially if I'm going on, I, I'll leave, I don't like to go less than a month, actually. I mean, I'll settle for two weeks, but I wouldn't go for a weekend or a week. I mean, there's too much to see. Uh, but I will, sometimes I'll plan out what strips I want to go to, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I pick the first one and then from there, look at the weather, look at a lot of different things and then pick the next strip and the next strip and the next strip. But yeah, you can end up, oh, you know, okay, Californians, you've got to check out Mercy Hot Springs. That's near San Francisco. It's got a dirt strip. And it's some of the best hot springs you'll ever go to. It's it's a resort, but a little tiny resort. You just love that. And then if you're going to go to Idaho, keep going, keep going until you get to Priest Lake. Especially if you're a seaplane pilot, you want to go to Priest Lake. And then right across from the lake, there's a seaplane base. And uh, my friends have that seaplane base. And if you're a seaplane, they are the friendliest seaplane folks that you'll ever meet. And you could, you'll see they have a grub and goose. They have a barn of aircraft that you can't even believe. But, but Priest Lake is so beautiful. And same thing, approach in. The trees keep getting taller and taller. But it's not that tough of a place to get in and out. And uh, there, there's... Cars can go there, but that doesn't matter. If you like boating, Priest Lake, you look down into the water. It's so crystal clear, you can see all the way to the bottom. It's good fishing, and it's a lot of camaraderie, great places to camp. You could probably even rent a house from somebody if, if you wanted. You might want to check in advance. But, oh, they have a great restaurant there. Right on the air, right at the lake. You walk from the walk from the air airstrip over to that restaurant. Really good food, and there's a hotel. I forgot there's a great hotel right there. So you could you could do that too. So you can take take your whomever you would want to take that may not want to camp, and you can go there. It's good hiking around there. Yeah, so try to just keep going, keep going. I know the. Uh, Yes, yes, and yes, I love yes. That even, even, you know, with people working remotely and things like that, that, that you've got that set up and other people can do the same type of thing where you can get a sat phone and connectivity just to blast things in and out and then do your work. So you could take, for some people, have the opportunity of taking a longer, right. a longer trip and not having to be 100% vacation even. Right. And so mobile technology, I mean, I was practicing mobile technology, like I said, in 2004, I actually started an internet company because I could see that the internet equaled freedom. I saw that as soon as PayPal came out and all that, and people were comfortable hitting add to cart, I thought, this is my, this is my golden ticket to freedom. And so I started an internet company was selling I had a, I was running a full-blown internet company selling retail product from the wilderness using satellite technology. And back then it was 250 a minute. So you had to 
really be pretty strategic. But right now with everybody after COVID, everybody's working remotely. My goodness, it's the perfect opportunity for you to do that. And you can do it now. Find out what strips have cellular because so many of them, all the towers going up, so many of them have cellular. You can do it with sat, but it really, it's another level. You can't surf the internet or anything. So Johnson Creek has cellular. So you, <laughs> you can go and take your shower and you know have your have your luxury. Yes, uh, Johnson Creek is just perfect. Wonderful. So yes. before we run out of time, I just want to show people we. So here's what we're going to do. You have a, a few giveaways. We are just going to after the show um, randomly select some people from their email addresses from from being on. If you were here, if you were here for the whole show, we will uh, we'll go surf through there, grab some names. Um, grab some emails and I just want to show some folks um, you are associated with plain tags yes. um, and give us the the, the, the quick uh, one minute on plain tags and well, plain, yeah plain tags moto art I've been with moto art for 16 years and we were the ones that created the industry of aviation furniture so if you're looking for a desk made out of an airplane part that's moto art plain tags Dave Hall, who owns MotoArt, invented this industry of tags. And so it's a real piece from a real part. It could be B-52. We have a, a P-51K a plane tag. I mean, we have plane tags for virtually everything that you could tag. And so we're, we're looking for more GA aircraft. We have a lot of military and all, a lot of commercial. So that's what plane tags are. And so that's something that we're uh, going to be having as a prize for the show. And I don't want to forget, I will be speaking at both Sun and Fun and Oshkosh. So um, I may do the two, two, two talks at Oshkosh, one on gear and one on location. And at Sun and Fun, I'll be doing locations just so that you can see and you know, get a feeling for, for what some of these places look like. And, and I can suggest to you what might be your best trips if you're, if you're just learning and you want to take it slow, take it in baby steps. Don't, don't try to go to the hardest one first. There's, there's no ego out there. Ego, ego is a bad thing. Uh, ego, put your ego back in the pocket and then just do what you feel comfortable doing. And that's why I've been able to do it for gosh, 18 years. And, uh, I gosh, I, I don't even, I lost count as to how many airstrips I've been to and just exploring, loving it. So, if you so, love nature, so Mm-hmm. And to anyone who's going to be there, if you're going to be at Sun and Fun coming up, because that's only in a few weeks, really, yes. three, three, four weeks, four weeks. Um, absolutely. I'll tell you right now, uh, Ramona's presentations are standing room only. Get there early. Get some time. Um, and, uh, and of course, at Oshkosh, same deal. Uh, it, it's just wonderful. Ramona, thank you so much for taking oh, time welcome. to join us tonight. Let, let me mention, I will also be in the MotoArt Plane Tags booth at both at Oshkosh and Sun and Fun. And part of the time at Sun and Fun, I'll be at the Honda booth. So come by the booth, say hi, ask me questions. I am a wealth of information and I'm happy to share anything that you that you would like to know. Your personal backcountry consultant. There you go. I, I'm, I'm there to happy to help. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so, so much for joining us here on Social Flight Live. I, I absolutely love your stories, your adventure, and everything that you stand for in getting everyone out there and enjoying backcountry adventure flying and just doing more with aviation. Thank you. 
So thank you so much for letting me on Social Flight. And I love Social Flight and the Social Flight app. If you guys haven't tried the Social Flight app, you are missing out. I mean, not, not only does he have these great interviews, but the Social Flight app, download it now because you have trust, <laughs> trust me, it will be a utility you'll want to use. Thank you so much for saying that. All right, you have a wonderful evening. You too. Thanks, everybody, for coming. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. And to all of you, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join us again here on Social Flight Live. We'll be back next week on Tuesday, March 7th at 8 p.m. with Mike Bush, who's going to be talking about uh, new uh, ADs. There's some things coming out that we've had to deal with, and then also about safe cylinder changes, break-in if you have to do with that. So really, really fascinating and interesting show from a technical level. Then on Tuesday, March 14th, it is going to be a very special show. Heather Penny will be here. She um, was an F-16 fighter pilot with a very unique story on 9-11 that was sent up unarmed in order to intercept uh, Flight 93. And when you say unarmed in order to intercept Flight 93, it was a one-way mission, and their goal was to take that aircraft down. Uh, they did not make it in time there, but it is a, a chilling story and really fascinating with someone who volunteered um, to do that mission. That is Heather Penny on Tuesday, March 14th. We're then off for a couple weeks for both vacation and sun and fun. And then we'll be back on Tuesday, April 4th with EA President Jack Pelton. Until next time, again, thank you so much for joining us here on Social Flight Live. And I wish you all blue skies. 